Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. As, as Mike said in his announcements, we've set aside today for honouring our volunteers here at Gateway. Um, without volunteers, Gateway simply wouldn't, couldn't work. Um, presently, we've got about 40 people upstairs or out in the other rooms looking after our um, various children's areas. We've had our musos, we've got our sound and media techies, we've got admin teams, hospitality teams, and even a health responder team. Um, Gateway works because these people do. And I want to talk to that area a little bit this morning. Um, Before you start squirming in your seat uh, or feel the desperate need to use our bathroom facilities, uh, let me assure you that this message is not going to be some guilt-inducing, your country needs you uh, kind of plug. And I'm referring to the very famous World War I recruiting poster featuring a very fierce-looking Lord Kitchener, Lord Secretary of War, pointing an accusing finger that is absolutely impossible to escape no matter where you go. Your church needs you. When it comes to Volunteer Sundays, um, it seems to me that some messages that I've heard over the years are a bit like that poster. Uh, There is an appeal to guilt, and uh, if not guilt, then emotions. Our five-year-olds need you. We're four people short in that department, and they're so vulnerable and so sweet. And at the moment, they have no one to point them the way. Some of them have no parents, no food, no shoes, no hope tears at this point, okay? In the background, Jesus loves the little children is playing, and, and we are, and is there anyone who feels the call? And there's this painful wait, and finally, four hands go up. Actually, three. One guy was just scratching his ear, but we'll take it. And then finally, oh, thank goodness that's over for the next year. Except that every year when you do that, it becomes harder and harder. You know, you think, oh, yeah, I remember the guy scratching his ear last, last uh, year, and so you sit on your hands. There's absolutely no way. And it's no wonder that pastors would rather preach a series on the book of Leviticus than do Volunteer Sunday. So with all that said, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 1. <laughs> just kidding. Hey, I'd, I'd really like to share with you how we, um, we actually think about volunteers, how to potentially reframe our thinking on the subject of serving. And, you know, we do need to be honest and clear. There are jobs to be done in a family like ours, and, and we need people to do those jobs. But there's a better way of thinking about the fact that there are jobs to be done, and we need people to do jobs. And it's this, rather than we need people to do jobs and get jobs done, we need jobs to get people done. Let me, let me try and explain. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, I'm reading from the message translation. Paul says he handed out gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work. 
working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with one another, with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. So our job is to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work so that they can be fully alive like Christ. The ministry gifts that God gives to his church, whether it be apostles, prophets, evangelists, or teachers, are in the business of training people, Christ followers, in skilled servant work. Now, the Bible is very clear that the call of disciples, the call of Christ followers like you and I, is that we be like him. And preeminently, being like Christ is being a servant. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then, of course, in John chapter 13, verse 14, Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example, you, should also, you, you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly. When you find truly, truly, you've got to stop. Because Jesus is drawing attention to something when he uses those words. I say to you, it actually should read, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So we're called to a servant-like life. Now, a servant's role is to do all that he or she can do to make life better for other people, to free them up, so that they can be everything that they're supposed to be. A servant's first interest is not himself or herself, it is others. And quite frankly, in our culture, that is so counterintuitive, it is so counterculture. It clashes so vehemently with our culture's mantra, mantra of you are number one, numa unru, and you deserve it. It's all about you. It's the antithesis of the radically individualistic consumer culture that we are surrounded by and marinated in. Servanthood is a challenge to my natural leanings to look after my own interests and to pursue greatness and excellence according to this world's standards. Now, I want to say the Bible is not against greatness and the Bible is not against excellence. In fact, the Bible calls us to those things. In Philippians chapter 1, it says, approve that which is excellent, strain after it. In Mark chapter 9, 35, if anyone would be first. Now, Jesus doesn't rebuke the desire to be first. He doesn't rebuke the desire for greatness or excellence. What he does is he redefines it. And he shows us what excellence and what greatness looks like in kingdom terms. You know, that word, excellence is, a word uh, excellence is a word that you hear so much these days. We want excellence in all that we do. I mean, we used to run a leadership program called Leading with Excellence. And people talk about excellence, and they talk about it in church life, but what so often I find they mean is the outward appearance of everything being really cool. The right lighting, the right ambience, the right carpet, the right whatever it is. We want everything to look really, really good. We want to be excellent. Well, Jesus wants us to be excellent too, but not necessarily in that way. He defines both excellence and greatness. He says in Luke chapter 22, verse 26, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. 
Now, last week, Daniel Brown was with us and uh, he, he gave us a one-liner that I actually went upstairs. I've got a book up in my office where if I find a quote that I find really significant or it speaks to me or is really meaningful, I wrote it down. And I went up and wrote this down. He said, the pathway to greatness passes through the servants' quarters. I don't know whether you remember him saying that, but that was worth the price of bringing him over here. The price of the, the uh, pathway of greatness passes through the servants' quarters. And I think excellence and greatness is something to be pursued. And uh, our calling is to help you to be excellent and great, training you in skilled servant work. So if we can look at the subject, not in terms of getting you to do jobs, but in terms of allowing jobs to develop Christ-likeness in you, it changes a perspective. Servanthood is regarded uh, as one of the great classic Christian spiritual disciplines. If you're not familiar with the term spiritual disciplines and you'd want to ask the question, hey Don, what is a spiritual discipline? What are you talking about? Well, spiritual disciplines are the recognised, long and well-practised exercises of spiritual life that call us beyond living on the surface into deeper places with God. And they are designed to help us be liberated from the stifling slavery to self-interest and self-absorption. And saints down through the ages have practiced these exercises and disciplines, and there is overwhelming testimony to the fact that they are practical aids in effectively helping us to walk with God and to be like Christ. If you go into um, the, you know, reading about spiritual disciplines, you, you'll find various authors have various lists. And although there is slight variation in the exercises, they're mostly very similar. And I'm drawing from Richard Foster's classic book, The Celebration of Disciplines, in the way that he outlines spiritual disciplines. He says, firstly, there are the inward disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. Then there are the outward disciplines of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And finally, there are the corporate disciplines of confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. And uh, if, if um, you're interested in pursuing it, I really do recommend, it, recommend Richard Foster's book. So service is a classic spiritual discipline. In Christian symbolism, it's symbolized by the towel. And the reason we use the towel to symbolize servanthood is from John chapter 13 where it says Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took the towel and girded himself. So when you see the icon of a towel in, in Christian circles, you know that we're talking about servanthood. Now as I begin to outline servanthood, I can see here perhaps somebody thinking, maybe it's just my cynical thinking, but I can hear somebody thinking, Don, are you daring to acquaint the spiritual discipline of servanthood with volunteering at Gateway. Are you saying that these are one and the same thing? And I want to answer both uh, no and yes. Classic politician's answer. Actually, I'm thinking of running for Hamilton West since I live over there <laughs> and I've been practicing. Well, yes and no. You know. No in that servanthood, of course, is much, much larger, more varied, more deep than volunteering at church. And we know that many of you are serving in areas that are completely unrelated to our Gateway community. And the last thing I want you to hear from me is that that servanthood doesn't count unless it's in church. 
Some of you are serving in your families. There are needs in your families and you are considering the needs of others in your family more than you are considering yourself. And that's servanthood. Some of you uh, serve in places of employment, whether it's in the health sector or other sectors. And quite frankly, for us, the very fact that you get to church is absolutely amazing from our perspective. We know that some of you work uh, insane hours serving other people. And for us, the very fact that you come to church uh, makes us feel incredibly honoured that we have the privilege of serving you while you are here. And the last thing I would want you to go away with is a sense of guilt that on top of all that you do, that you're not doing something else. It amazes me that I look around and I see some people who have incredibly busy jobs and yet once a month they have a, uh, a Gateway Kids t-shirt on and they're upstairs and it just blows me away because they could so easily say, I'm phenomenally busy in the realm that I'm uh, working in and I, d I don't have time, and most of us would completely understand. So, no, servanthood and volunteering at Gateway are not necessarily the same thing. But I'd also want to say yes, because it can be a place where you learn to serve. There is, in a community like ours, ample opportunity for all kinds of people to roll up their sleeves and take up the towel and serve. When we set out consciously, no matter where it is, outside in the place of your employment and your family or perhaps here at Gateway, when we set out consciously and choose a course of action uh, that prioritises the good of other people, I think a deep and profound work, often hidden, occurs within us. Of all the classic spiritual disciplines, service is the one that is most conducive for the pro producing of humility in our lives. Humility is one of those virtues that cannot be gained or developed by pursuing it directly. When you go after humility directly, it's, it's like trying to pick up quicksilver, trying to pick up mercury. It always seems to escape you. It's a byproduct of other processes. Now, since, uh, even though it's a byproduct of other processes and you can't pursue it directly, don't make the mistake of assuming that since you can't pursue it directly, then there's nothing at all that you can do to gain humility and that you're simply reduced to hoping that it'll drop out of the sky onto your head like Chicken Little's acorn. Well, the thing is it doesn't and it won't. There is a spiritual discipline designed to help shape humility within you and it's servanthood. Now, I know, personally, that even in servanthood, we can resist the shaping and, uh, of God in our lives and devise subtle, religiously accepted means to call attention to the servanthood that we have rendered, accompanied, of course, by the appropriate degree of religious modesty, of course. <clears throat> I often joke that they gave me a badge for my humility, but they took it off me because I uh, had a habit of wearing it all the time. And uh, I, I know from experience how this works, and um, I'll tell a little story on myself that I'm not proud of, but when we very first came to Gateway, um, many of you will know the church was struggling profoundly, and the news of sexual infidelity and failure had decimated us, and there was just so many jobs to do and hardly anybody to do it. Our lawns needed mowing. And so, with some regularity, I would take my mower from a home and come down, and I would mow the lawns. Um, I found myself mowing the lawns, 
hoping that somebody from church would go by. And note the humble servant-hearted pastor <laughs> mowing the church lawns. How good is that? And the fact that nobody went by was just such a rebuke to my fleshly desire to be noticed. And I'm, I can tell that story on me, but, um, but I suspect you as well, because I know what the human heart is like. We'll, we'll serve if attention is drawn to the service that is rendered. Serving in hiddenness is a rebuke to the flesh, and I tell you, it can deal a fatal blow to the pride. I love what Richard Foster says in his book. He says, nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service, and nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but it screams against hidden service that nobody sees, except for the fact that somebody does. In fact, the most important person of all does. And if he does, we don't need anybody else to do it. As I said earlier, the longing to be great or excellent or significant isn't necessarily wrong, but it has to be biblically redefined. We cannot simply accept the world's way of promotion and power, and servanthood undermines that way. Some of you are called to and are serving in significant levels of leadership in the various fields of endeavor where you find yourself. And the Bible doesn't reject leadership. It redefines it, however. Listen to this. This is Jesus. Now, you know that two of Jesus' disciples had come, and they were seeking greatness. They wanted the positions at his right hand and his left hand. And Jesus begins to talk about the nature of leadership and how it interacts with servanthood. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority upon them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let them be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now I want you to note some words in there if you would. Jesus talks about the nature of uh, leadership that's common in our world system. And he said, the rulers of the Gentile lord it over them. And they exercise authority upon them. If you've got a Bible, you might like to underscore over and upon. Because it's leadership that's top down. It's done to some people that are below. And then Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. And notice in this passage, three times he uses the word among. It shall not be so among you. If you would be great, those who are great among you, those who would be first among you, Jesus changes the nature of leadership from top down to a leadership that is among as a servant. He challenges the pecking order of this world's system that this world embraces at norm, as normal. Our world takes authority and treats it like a totem pole. And uh, the people that are being served are at the top and most of us are at the bottom. And, and our mentality even is we might have to serve down here for a season. But the goal ultimately is to get to the top where the roles will be reversed and you get to be served. And it's then that you have access to the green room, the penthouse, the car park, and all of the perks that are associated with your role. Listen, if you are a leader, 
There are things that go with that role. And the distinction between something that's legitimate and illegitimate is does that, whatever it is, whether it's the bigger office or the car park, is that about your job being able to be done more effectively or is it simply a status symbol? That's the question you've got to ask. Some people need a bigger office because they have more meetings in that office. Some people might need a car park. But in many cases, they are simply perks of the job. They are about status. They are simply to say, I'm at the top of the pole and don't you forget it. And Jesus is saying, it should not be so among you. When Jesus describes the kingdom way of functioning, there are no top-down concepts involved. It's among. And the use of that word among is not coincidental. It is deliberate. It's a new way of seeing how authority works. So in Matthew 23 and verse 11, Jesus again says, He that is greatest among you shall be your servant. In 1 Peter chapter 5, here's the apostle Peter approaching the end of his life, talking to the elders, the elders who are not over you, exercising dominion upon you, but who are among you. I exhort you. I, am, uh, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, not over, not upon, among. I like J.B. Phillips, which he says, you shouldn't behave and, and live like little tin gods. So much leadership in our world is the little tin god variety. I'm up here, you're down there, don't you ever forget it. We're examples to the flock. If you're in a leadership position, no matter where it is, perhaps you're just leading your family. Perhaps you're, you're leading in a, in a role at university or in a school, or maybe you're leaning, leading in a place of your employment. When you're talking over and upon, something is wrong. The mentality is we are among, and we are among as servants. And the role of the servant is to ensure that the people that you are leading come to their fullest potential. Jesus doesn't ever do away with leadership. And he doesn't say that everybody has a level or equal measure of authority. He had a great deal to say about authority, and he made it clear that many who claimed it, in fact, didn't have it. However, the authority that he spoke of was not an authority to be at the top of the totem pole, but was marked by a willingness to sometimes be at the bottom and to be among, and it was to be symbolized by the towel and not the scepter. We are called to greatness. We're called to excellence. But greatness and excellence has to be equated with servanthood. And that's how I'd like to see volunteering here at Gateway. When people step into a role, it's not all about, hey, we need you to do the job. The little kids need you. And you know, the reality is maybe they do. But the role is about serving. It's about being great. It's about being skilled in Christ-like servant work. And we don't want you to do jobs. We want jobs to be available to equip you and to make you Christ-like. Now, we're grateful for the partnership and for your willingness to roll up sleeves and muck in. But above all, actually, we desire you to be mature ministering servants. That's what we're called to do. It's about you being used by God in ways that you never imagined would even be possible. 
It's about you developing gifts that you didn't even know existed within you. It's about hearts overflowing with joy as you realize through that servanthood that you've just exercised that God has used you to teach, shape, and bless another human being. It's about coming to the realization that true fulfillment in life never, ever comes through the pursuit of self-gratification, but it comes from giving your life away. I'll never forget E. Stanley Jones, an old missionary to India, coming back on furlough. And he was asked to visit this woman who was in the depths of depression and really struggling with where life was at and, and uh, where it was going for her. And Jones went round and he said, hey, would you come with me for a day? Would you just get out of the house and come with me for a day and come with me as we go and visit some, uh, some people who just need to, be, need to be visited. And he took this woman and he went up to the hospital, they visited some people, he went round. And as the day went on, this woman just brightened up and, and by the end of the day, she was fear fizzing. And he said to her, hasn't it been a great day? And she said, look, just one of the best possible days. And he said, that's what servanthood does. And she said, oh, you don't expect me to do this every day, do you? <laughs> oh, I'm, not, I'm not planning to do this every day. It was just good one off. There is something about servanthood that releases something in us. Something, by the way, statistically and scientifically that has proved to be really healthy. Healthy physically. Healthy mentally. It's not without reason that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And he wasn't just talking about money. He was talking about giving your life away. Our culture is marinated in the idea that it's about us getting. And when we say a verse like, it is more blessed to give than to receive, there's a little voice inside of us that says, whatever. You're talking, I'd rather give $50 away than receive $50. You're dreaming. It's countercultural. It's a different kingdom. But you and I are followers of the Christ who says, come into my kingdom. Unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom. But once you are born again, you come into the kingdom, you begin to see things. And it's then that the challenge takes place. Will I allow the kingdom to shape me? Will I just simply be a consumer? Will I come along, attend, give my opinion on how things go? Or do I roll up my sleeves, take up the towel and be part of the family? It's our choice. Daniel said the road to greatness passes through the servants' quarters. Brilliant quote. I'd, I'd, you know, with apologies to Daniel, I'd make one alteration on that quote. It doesn't simply pass through the servant quarters. It leads to the servants' quarters. And you don't pass through it on the way to greatness. It's greatness in the servants' quarters. It's where greatness takes place. You don't go, servanthood is not a means to an end. It is the end because it's being like Christ. We don't use things as a means to an end. We become, God is calling us to, to, to be Christ-like. That is the end. Christ was not a servant for a season. He is eternally the servant king. And friends, we are not called to servanthood for a season until we ultimately get to the top of the totem pole. We are called eternally to be his servant worshippers. Musicians, would you come please? I hope you don't feel like, you know, the Lord Kitchener poster. The goal was not to make you feel guilty. The goal is to make you think, how can I serve? 
where, are, where will service be most appropriate for me? Some of you will say, Don, I'm doing it. And I'd say, fantastic, I'm not asking anything else of you. But for those of you who are maybe presently in a season of rest and you aren't particularly serving anywhere, you may need that se season of rest for a time. It actually may be appointed to you for having that season of rest, but don't let that season of rest become what you are permanently. At some point in time, wherever it happens to be, pick up the towel and serve. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.